You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why did you ask me to accompany you, sir? I needed an engineer. Giorgio's an engineer. An engineer I can trust. She thinks I'm useless. She's concerned for Michael and lacks the self-awareness to control her behavior in such an unsettled state. We are introducing ourselves to the future. You, Hanson Tilly, are a wonderful first impression. Well, here we are, folks. Episode two of Star Trek Discovery's third season, Far From Home, written by Michelle Paradise, Jenny Lumet, and Alex Kurtzman, directed by Olatunde Osinsanmi. I'm Dan Gunther, and with me is Bruce Gibson, and we're here on Positively Trek, giving you our thoughts on this episode. So, Bruce, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. I just woke up because I slept in. And I'm trying to remember this last episode of Discovery. And I do remember it because it was so good. I was going to say, yeah, it's not very memorable. eh? It's kind of hard to (laughs) know. Well, I just don't want to mix it up with any dreams that I was having of Star Trek or Discovery. And I don't want to mix those dreams in with the episode because it really could throw it off. Oh, that's interesting. Do you do you often have Star Trek dreams? I'm just I'm curious. Now. I don't remember most of my dreams, so I don't know. But I have had, of course, some dreams that were re- related around Star Trek. But I typically, gosh, I can't even believe I'm going to say this because it's re- like recorded out there for anybody I know to hear this. But it's I typically fall asleep to thinking about Star Trek. Hmm. So I'm sure I'm dreaming it as I fall asleep because I'm thinking it. And a lot of times it's not so much I'm thinking of an episode. It's just more of I'm thinking expanding an episode or a book or tying a book into something or coming up with a new story idea and then I fall asleep. <laughs> just as a total aside, uh, I was on a school trip back back in high school many, many years ago. And I was I was reading the novel Imzadi at the time. And I remember I had only like two chapters left or whatever. And I was in my hotel room reading just some afternoon where we had some downtime. And I fell asleep while reading. And I finished the novel in my dream. 
And I remember at like dinner that night thinking, man, that novel took a really weird left turn at the end. And, and it's just, that was really strange. I, I don't know if I like how they wrapped that up. And then that night when I was in my room getting ready for bed, I was like, I don't remember reading any of this. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you tell me that story before. <laughs> oh, okay. That is so funny. I don't have a lot of stories. No, as so. soon as you started talking about it, I was like, I think I remember you telling me this once. Yeah. That's that's really interesting how that just how your mind works that way. You think you've done something or you remember something and it wasn't that. It was something you dreamt, you know? It's crazy. But I the other thing I fall asleep to uh, this here's another thing that it's related to Star Trek, but I think about what if I somehow got ownership of the franchise and what would I do with it? Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. Like a behind the scenes production side dream about Star Trek. I think I've had one or two of those as well. That's cool. That would be my ultimate dream job at this point. I wouldn't want to be on a show. I wouldn't want to write a show because I, 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 I don't know. I would just like to be in the business end of it. Excellent. Well, as much fun as that would be, we're not here to dream about running our own Star Trek show because we've got one that other people are running that we need to talk about. So yeah, Star Trek Discovery, Far From Home is the name of the episode. And after last week's focus on Burnham and her situation and meeting up with Book, this week we get to see what the Discovery folks are up to. So Saru and the rest of the crew... And the episode starts with a pretty big bang with Discovery crashing down on this icy planet, uh, which, you know, we don't really get the name of the people that are there. We later learn just call it the colony. So, yeah, this was impressive. This this crash of Discovery. What did you think of, of that whole sequence? I like the sequence because it reminded me of something we would see in one of the Kelvin timeline movies. The way the ship was flying through and it crashes through an asteroid and the way it was dropping to the planet and the sound was just fading away. I was like, this feels like that cinematic discovery, not discovery, but uh, Kelvin Timeline movies to me. Uh, and I've, I've felt that in a bunch of other Discovery episodes, too. But I just remember at that moment thinking, again, this feels like a movie. It doesn't feel like your typical traditional TV shows that we had with other Star Trek. So I really enjoyed that sequence. When they crash landed on the planet, that to me looked a little too CGI-ish to me in a sense. Like it just, it, it was fine. But I, I liked the, when they were out in space, that sequence better than the crashing on the planet. Yeah, I, I really, I thought this was really well done personally. Like as far as feeling the danger and that stuff, I think uh, when it was uh, Detmer and Oshikun were yelling, brace, brace, brace. Like I yeah. was just, that was really good to kind of jolt me into imagining being there and, and, and going through that. I thought that was all really well done. One thing that really stuck out to me after the whole crash is Saru as the captain. I felt like he was this commanding presence way more than we've gotten before. And and I think like he's really growing into this role as the commanding officer of Discovery right now. I loved uh, his little speech. You know, one of the things he says is people may be concerned about what's going on out there, but we can't focus on that right now. We have to focus in here and, you know, really does a great job of establishing the priorities for the crew and I, I just, I thought his turn as captain was really interesting. I did too. He is very, he's more confident than what he's been. And he is filling those big shoes 
the captain's shoes and his own shoes better. But at the same time, he still has a gentleness to him. There's still that. And, and, and throughout the episode, he's very much a commanding figure, but he's not imposing. He's got, still has a gentle way about him without being. It's not that it's weak or anything. It's just it, it's, it's almost like the perfect captain for a Star Trek series because it's about people's feelings and, and, and recognizing how others feel, but also being commanding and knowing how to impose what command decisions he needs to do on that situation, if that makes sense. Yeah, he does a really good job of walking that line between, you know, I, I'm looking to the points where he's interacting with Giorgio, for example, yes. and is able to kind of stand toe to toe with her in a way that he hasn't before, before undergoing the Vaharai and, and losing his fear response and stuff. Then I'm contrasting that with his moments with Tilly, where he's being that warm commanding officer. One of my favorite exchanges is where they're walking uh, away from the ship and Tilly is kind of babbling a bit and she says sorry sir i'm i'm talking because i'm scared and he turns to her and says i know keep talking ensign i just there's something so heartwarming about that and then right after that too where tilly's kind of questioning why she's on this mission and saru says to her we are introducing ourselves to the future you ensign tilly are a wonderful first impression and just the confidence that gives her and the like, you know, she immediately changes. She's immediately happier and more at ease, I think, just shows how good a commanding officer Saru is in that moment. And that's that scene that I was thinking as I was talking through it. That one really stood out to me. As you're talking through it, it made me realize that how much of a mentor he is and how great he would be teaching at Starfleet Academy. Yeah, absolutely. Giving all the students a kink in their neck because they have to crane their heads to look up at him. But yeah. The other day when we were talking about this episode, you had said that there were some parts that got you a little choked up. Kind of surprising to me, this whole bit with Saru and Tilly actually got me choked up. I was starting to get a little choked up at the, you know, you're a wonderful first impression and just seeing that change that that brought to Tilly. I'm curious, was that one of them or is this a, a different scene for you? No, that was one of them for sure. There was another one later, which I'll save. Okay. Excellent. Let's talk a little bit. I, I, I do want to mention a lot of the characters in this episode because I think each character that we see kind of gets a little bit to play with and some really interesting stuff. And one that surprised me and, and a character that I kind of tend to forget about is Commander Non, who joined the Discovery crew from the Enterprise last season. And Rachel Ancheril is now a main cast member and we see her name in the opening credits, which is really cool. But we get a small scene with her where we learn why she joined the Discovery crew. And this was kind of something that I've always had in the back of my mind. She's not known Burnham or anybody for very long. Why would she go along with Discovery when she's from the Enterprise besides, you know, being a good actor who got a good job on a sh on a show called Star Trek Discovery? Right. But, you know, for the character, why is she around? And we learn that it's because she feels a debt to the loss of Arium, 
which I thought was a really interesting bit of character motivation for her. I did too. And it makes a lot of sense because when there's a void to fill and she sees that's available, she may go for it. And she had a chance to work with this crew. For all we know that she felt more comfortable with this crew than her own. Like maybe she enjoyed working on the Enterprise, but she really had, you know, there was some kind of connection with the this crew. And what she was involved in that situation where Ariam died, you know, she does feel this, you know, something needs to be done. Something needs to help these people and I can do it. And look, you know, they've got this mission that they're going to the future. And this is why I'm out here. I'm out here to explore new things and what better thing to do than to support this crew and go to the future. And I think it's a great character moment for her. It's a great reason. I mean, yeah, to your point, they'll probably find a way, Hey, we like this character. Let's work her into the show somehow, but that's, it's just a great Starfleet way of doing it because it's about, this is why we're out here. And I, you know, it, I'm not tied to the ship. I'm tied to the missions and there's a mission here and I want to be part of it. And yeah, I like that. And I think we're going to see a lot more development with her, with this crew, and somehow find how she fits in with certain characters as we go. And I'm excited about that. Well, I'm just really glad that at no point in the show did she say yum yum because... Oh, that's one of my favorite <laughs> lines. I know. And shout out, by the way, to the Yum Yum podcast. The The hosts of that podcast did take some issue with me not liking that line from last season of Discovery. So uh, it's all in good fun. This is just a shout out to you guys. There's a podcast <laughs> called Yum Yum? Really? Yes. The Yum Yum podcast. And it is a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Uh, Ryan and Rachel Slowinski, they're rewatching and breaking down episodes of Star Trek Discovery without having a breakdown themselves is their little tagline. Aww. So I like that. I like that name. Yum, yum. That's great. <laughs> I figured you'd like that. That's yeah. great. <laughs> well, you mentioned earlier too about the credits and I just wanted to point out, did you notice the logo this time? Yes, that's right. I forgot about that. They did update the, uh, well, update ter- made, made the Star Trek part, the old, original series star trek uh, logo that was interesting and smaller yeah much smaller yeah so it's interesting that the previous episode was a rework of the first season and the second season episode but just the discovery part changed the star trek part remained the same and now in this episode the star trek part changed and became smaller it's Mm -hmm. (laughs) i started to wonder is the logo going to change every week (laughs) <laughs> like it's just weird <laughs> that they did it that way but anyway I, I i was surprised to see that yeah it makes me I, I feel like the first episode just wasn't that wasn't their finalized look and they decided to make one more change before this episode aired. i'm curious when the blu-rays come out what it's going to look like if that logo is going to carry back over to the first episode as well. Cause I remember Star Trek enterprise, their third season, oh, third season coincidentally as well. They changed the name from enterprise to Star Trek enterprise, but the first two episodes of the season, it just said enterprise at the start. And then in the third episode, it changed to Star Trek Enterprise. And then when the DVDs and Blu-rays came out, they had made it so that all of the episodes had that. So it was just like they just decided to change it at that point or something. That's interesting. So all the episodes of season three, they changed it, but they didn't go back to episode uh, seasons one and two, right? They still say Enterprise. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Seasons one and two still say Enterprise. Okay. So 
here's just how lame I am. I see that logo. And then afterwards I start thinking about it. I was like, well, wait, that's really interesting because in last week's episode, only the word discovery changed. The Star Trek logo didn't change. And now both have changed. And I thought, is it a connection to the fact that, well, in the first episode, only Burnham was there. So she only represents half of Star Trek <laughs> Discovery in this scenario, in this storyline. So they changed one part of the logo. And now that we get the other half of the storyline in with the crew, it changed the next part of the logo. <laughs> I know it's a stretch, <laughs> but I was like, is this some kind of artistic thing going on here? <laughs> I don't know that that's what they're thinking, but if that works for you, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to uh, Stamets and Culber. And last we saw at the end of last season, Stamets had been pretty gravely injured and was in sickbay. And we saw that Culber was putting him into a medically induced coma. And in this season, we've traveled to the 32nd century and there's a lot more injuries thanks to this crash and they need to free up the bio bed. So Stamets recovery is kind of rushed by Culber. I got to say, I love the interaction here between Stamets and Culber. And we really see kind of the old Culber back. He made a lot of like realizations at the end of last season that kind of got rushed and pushed through and like, oh, now he's suddenly on discovery and, you know, he wants to be back with Paul and we definitely see that change in his character here and that kind of playfulness. I really enjoyed the back and forth between these two. I did too, but it was a little off-putting for me at first because I was like, Culber, I'm not used to seeing you so happy and smiley and everything. It's <laughs> It's been a while since I've seen you like this. And it was it took me a little while to get used to it. I kept thinking like, when's he going to get mad at Paul? Which he does a little later, which I enjoyed, enjoyed too, but not like really mad. Just more like, Paul, what are you doing? Come on. Like, just <laughs> behave and listen to me. We've got to get you, uh, got to get you out of there and, you know, safe and sound so that I can kill you. <laughs> right. I'm glad that he has reached this point that he's back to his old self and he's gotten through what he went through in season two. But, you know, he also, you know, everything's a learning experience in life. And so whatever he discovered about himself during that time, he may be happier now than he was even before season two and season one. So, uh, yeah, it was great to see this. I like the interplay of the two. And I like Stamets, you know, determined that he's not going to let his health get in the way. And I kept wanting to just tell him, you know, you just need to sit down, let everybody else do their jobs and help you. You know, I wish he would just let people help him. Yeah. He has some moments in this episode where I just kind of want to give him a bit of a shake and like, you know, he's not indestructible. He's just recovered from pretty horrific injuries and he's really pushing himself. And we also have his interactions with Jet Reno and Jet has injured her back, so she can't really do a lot. But she's also trying to tell Paul, you know, you, you're just been injured as well and you can't really do a lot. But like we said, he's kind of taking on a lot and crawling into Jeffrey's tubes when he probably shouldn't be. And uh, it's a little bit of a martyr complex or something going on with him here. Yeah, I really felt bad for him in that Jeffrey's tube. I was just thinking, like, they need to get him out of there. Somebody else go in there, you know? I mean, because really what he did 
didn't look all that complicated. It looks like I could do that. If Jet Reno's telling me, yeah, just go in there and pull that out and pull that out and put this in, I could have done that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You could have got any ensign or anybody to go in there and do that. Yeah. Somebody who's not bleeding all over the floor of the Jeffrey's tube. Yeah. You know. I really felt bad for him. It's like he was in a lot of pain. I mean, I was feeling the pain. That's why I was finding that scene a little bit uncomfortable but jet reno oh my gosh i mean just just her little lines here and there and her attitude and you know here she is she's also injured not feeling well her back hurts and she's like yeah i'm not i'm not gonna do that because my back hurts you know i mean (laughs) i'm the opposite of you paul you know you want to push yourself to limits that you probably shouldn't do that aren't healthy to you but i'm just gonna sit right here i'm gonna open up this little cabinet little drawer thing here in engineering and what was that thing she was sitting on i guess it looked like a big like toolkit to me yeah that's what i thought yeah some kind of mobile tool toolkit yeah. or something but yeah she's made herself comfortable she knows what's up <laughs> she knows what her body needs and right. yeah no that was good i i really loved jet in this i mean tignataro is one of my favorite people period so having her in star trek just makes me so happy and yeah, she got some great lines in this one. I really enjoyed her here. Yeah, and my other favorite character is Jean. Jean just yes. was incredible. I love that. Uh, so yeah, Jean is cleaning up the spore chamber where uh, Leland last season was dispatched by Giorgio, let's say. Reno is referring to him, says, so unless Hazmat over here is going to be helping after he cleans up aisle five... <laughs> He says, uh, my, my name's Gene, actually. Yeah, I've already forgotten that. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I, at one, on one level is really funny, but on another level, I'm like, this dude volunteered to come to the future and help out Burnham and, and all that stuff too. Like, you know, <laughs> lower deckers unite, you know, this is, this is the Boimler of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> yeah. That poor guy, I hadn't thought about, it. he made the decision to go in the future and he's just, you know scooping up dead Leland goop, you know, and he's probably going, why did I agree to this? I can't go back. <laughs> yeah. And even talking about Leland goop, when Tilly saw Giorgio and said, you got uh, a little bit of Leland there on your shoe. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, actually let's talk about Giorgio then because, well, actually one more jet Reno line. Sorry. I just got to get this in here without any proper segue or anything. But at the very end, of course, when Paul says to her, Jet, thanks for nothing. And she replies, back at you, Bobcat. (laughs) Colbert says, Bobcat? I don't know. I'm on drugs. I just, (laughs) I love this character. She's ridiculous. I know. She's great. (laughs) And and it's in her personality for sure. I mean, you know, I was telling you before the show, like, I don't think she's a great actress, but just the, you know, her personality and the fact that they make her into an engineer is great because I've worked with engineers that are just kind of, they're, they're like that. They're like, you know, it's just me. I'm doing my job. It is what it is. And that's how she is. <laughs> yeah. Tignataro, definitely more of a comedian than an actor, but still I just love that she's on the show. And, and this character I think is perfect for her personally. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Giorgio. So this is a character who's going to be a problem more so than she's already been a problem. I I definitely see them setting up her being an issue. And like I said, you know, Saru does go toe to toe with her, but it's close a couple times, right? Like she is going to be challenging for Saru to be able to command. I think I have to say this, Dan, 
Giorgio, when she first appeared on screen, I was like, oh, yeah, there's Giorgio. She's here. Mere Giorgio. And I'm just like, oh, gosh. I mean, am I going to really like her being here? Because she's just going to disrupt things and just be a problem. And I don't know how I feel about this. But I have to admit something. I think this is one of my favorite Giorgio episodes. Oh, wow. I really? loved her in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's just because she is different from everybody else. You know, now I think about it, one of the things I liked on TNG was the introduction of Ensign Rowe. And I know I've talked to some people who don't like Ensign Rowe, but I liked Ensign Rowe because everybody in the Enterprise, our main cast, for the most part, you know, they're good Samaritans. They're all good Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, and they're almost perfect in a way. Then when Ensign Rowe showed up, she had an edge to her, and I like that. She added just a little spice to, to the cast for me. And I almost feel that way about Georgia now because, in the sense, everybody is... They're good Boy Scout, Girl Scouts on this ship. They all care about one another. And there's somebody there that's like, I don't know if I really care about you people. I mean, I do, but I won't admit it. But anyway, you know, and she's just adding that bit of spice and just her fight scenes in this. I always love it to see Michelle Yeoh fighting. I mean, she, her skills mm-hmm. are just perfect. And I just love her because she's so complex because at one minute it's like, I'm thinking she's an emperor from the empire and she's here, but at the same time, she does seem to care. There's a good peace side to her, especially when we see the saloon fight and such, and she puts the gun to Saru's head, and then she just turns it and puts it down. Like, he goes, we don't do that. And she's like, okay, like, I'll I'll play your, your by your rules. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know why. I just really loved her in this episode. Yeah, I did enjoy, I, I enjoy that aspect of her character for sure. She did save Saru and Tilly and yeah. the remaining Corridonites in, in the bar there. I, I do like that even when she's standing there and a gun's pointed at her head, she's in command of the situation. That's the one thing that I, from that scene that I absolutely loved was she's like, he's going to get you killed. Right. Now you're supposed to ask why why and then she's just like totally in command of the situation and of course turns the tables on uh zara you know she's she's a little bit of an agent of chaos in all of this as well because like you said that bit at the end where she's she for a moment trains the gun on saru and then turns it around that's where i was like okay, she's going to be trouble. Yeah. (laughs) Like Saru's really walking a fine line, riding herd on her because yeeks, I I don't know where this is going to go. I feel like she's going to have a bit of an arc over the course of the season. And, you know, of course she's going to be the lead in Star Trek section 31 at some point. So I'm curious, like what in this season is going to be setting her up for that? Because we know the original idea for section 31 was it was going to start filming right at the end of discovery season three. So I think whatever they came up with for her character for this season is setting her up for that. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious what her arc is going to be over the season. Well, and they have to be very careful with her. Because as much as I enjoyed her in this episode, I can see where she would start to drive me crazy. And I really could get tired of her after a while. Because if she's causing mischief and issues for this crew and ruining missions for them, I'm going to really start to hate this character. Yeah. And, and, you know, she's not a Starfleet character. Like if she was a Starfleet officer doing these things, 
I wouldn't like this character because I wouldn't, I, I don't understand why Starfleet would have an officer like this. That being said, she is part of Section 31, which is part of the Federation and kind of Starfleet, whatever. And even that bothers me a little that she still, that we would bring somebody who ran this empire and killed thousands or millions of people oh we're gonna have her help on these secret missions <laughs> it's like yeah it, it's that still kind of bothers me but that's why i say i almost get this feeling that there's a good side to her and i feel like burnham has brought that out of her and you know who knows what her story was and how she became emperor and why but maybe it was just the circumstance and now that she doesn't have to do that anymore she can be the good person that she really could could have been I don't know. Yeah, and I think any path for redemption for her is going to be through Burnham. And I think we get hints of that as well with, you know, her reaction to seeing Burnham at the end when Burnham shows up and rescues the Discovery. We we get that reunion with Burnham at the end and just the looks on, on Giorgio's face and combined with, you know, the concern she has at the beginning for getting communications up because we have no way to contact Michael. Like, that's definitely the route that whatever redemption she has is going to take, I think. Well, I watched Lost in Space, not so much the old series. I've seen that, but the newer series. And, you know, Dr. Smith drives me crazy. And Giorgio could be the Dr. Smith of this series. You know, hopefully doesn't drive me as much crazy as Dr. Smith does. <laughs> so, yeah, we talked a little bit about, you know, the the rescue of Discovery at the end by Burnham, which, you know, that's pretty cool that, She's been waiting a year, so not a thousand years, thankfully, like they were fearing might be the case. But still, it's been a year. We see Burnham. She looks a lot different. I feel like next episode is going to be the kind of filling in of that year of what happened while Burnham was waiting for Discovery. Because, it, yeah, it seems like a lot has happened. I'm curious to see what the evolution of her relationship with Book is. At this point, I know in the trailers we've seen her, you know, sitting, waiting for messages from Discovery as her hair gets longer kind of thing. So I, I feel like that's what we're going to get uh, in the next episode. This episode, there's some interesting little revelations tying, I think, what's going on to what we've seen already in the Short Treks episode Calypso. And this is going to be something that I keep coming back to because I'm curious how they're going to link everything together but in that episode craft calls the federation the vidrash and in this episode we get zara calling the federation the vidrash as well so the more hints we get the more i think we're in that time period that we saw in calypso or somewhere near it anyway and you don't think that calypso could be a thousand years past this point going forward i don't think think so i think because it's that vidrash reference that i'm like okay i think they're trying to establish that we're that we're close to where calypso is and i outlined a theory a while ago as to how this will all link together this this is still kind of my theory i might have to amend this as we go along but I feel like the Section 31 series is going to be back in the 23rd century with Giorgio. I think she's going to somehow get back there, but the Discovery crew won't. My guess is she's going to somehow use Discovery to go back in time, back to the 23rd century. 
And then she's going to hide the discovery somewhere for a thousand years for it to get back to where the discovery crew is now. Maybe a bit of a leap, just a lot of guesswork there. But that's my current theory that I have going on right now, because we know from that that the ship was has been waiting for almost a thousand years is what it says. And it has evolved in that time to become an artificial intelligence. So I think discovery, because it has the sphere data in its computers with all the AI research and stuff is going to evolve a personality while it sits in this nebula waiting for a thousand years. I that's my guess. Love that. Can we just go ahead and make that happen? If I had any power to, I totally would. And maybe that's the answer, but maybe they've come up with something completely different too. But unlike some people on the internet, I don't think they're going to forget Calypso. I think these little references, I think they have this kind of mapped out how they're going to link it together. I don't think it's something they're just going to draw. No, I don't think they'll forget Calypso. Calypso either. No. And by the way, I think when they made Calypso, they at least had an idea of where they were going with Discovery to make sure that this Mm -hmm. would also work with it. I like that idea because if Giorgio somehow uses Discovery to go back in time, and then, as you said, kind of puts Discovery, hides it somewhere, so it is sitting there for about a thousand years, so that she knows that the crew's abandoned the future because she left with the ship, but that's okay, because then they'll find... It's not a duplicate discovery, but almost feels that way, you know, because if that abandoned ship is out there right now, then there's two discoveries, Mm -hmm. you know, until she goes back in time with the one discovery and the other discoveries. (laughs) It's so confusing. Timey-wimey stuff drives me crazy. Well, I guess with that said, what are do you have any kind of final thoughts and maybe a rating for this episode that you'd like to share with us? Similar to last week's episode, I like this because... It stayed with the crew. I mean, there was different story, I guess, little storylines as opposed to last week's where it just followed Burnham the whole time. But it kind of still felt that way to me. It's staying with the crew situation. And I'm glad they did these two episodes individually, that it wasn't seeing Burnham doing something. Then we go back to see what the crew's dealing with and then back to Burnham and we're in this volleying back and forth. And the way we saw this end makes sense as to why they wouldn't have done it that way, because... Discovery doesn't show up until a year after Burnham arrived into the future, which, by the way, that was my big choke up moment was the ending when Burnham showed up on the view screen and she's been found and she's found them. I was like, no, this is so wonderful. They're all back together. And I just kept thinking, what has she been through the last year? Which I'm hoping that's what the next episode is really going to focus on is what she's gone through the last year. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. I love the the Western feel of the saloon area. And, you know, I know Star Trek, this is not the Star Trek thing for me to say, but I did enjoy the violence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed the fight scenes with Giorgio and even Tilly using the bottle to knock that guy out, you know, and just seeing them in that situation felt very much like a Western. So that was, uh, that was fun. And just seeing the bits of planet, or rocks or boulders floating in the atmosphere looking like a alien type planet was really cool so i love the visuals there's so much in this i know i'm missing something that's why i'm stretching this on because after a while i'm gonna be like oh i should have mentioned about blah 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 but i love the whole thing i feel like tilly right now i could just keep talking and talking and whatever so anyway I will say that I give this episode a big, this is not going to sound good, a big pile of Leland. (laughs) 
<laughs> Meaning, um, it's got a lot of weight to it. Okay. <laughs> I don't All know. Right. That's a stretch. Uh, you know, <laughs> I would say like a four and a half out of five. No, a four out of five gunslinging stuff. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this episode as well. I think, you know, following the Discovery crew and seeing what they've been up to and and their experiences was was a really good episode. And not revealing Burnham until the very end, I think, was a good choice, just like I think not showing Discovery at all in the first episode was a good choice. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about that I'm just looking at my notes now, uh, Detmer. What is up with her? Yes. What's going on with Detmer? <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned this because I saw you discussing this on Twitter. I don't know. I wanted to go back to season two. Wasn't there a situation? I, I don't know. And I may not be remembering this correctly, but I thought maybe there was something we saw in season two, very brief, where something affected her, like her implant. Mm. I, and I, I don't. And maybe not. But I really wanted to go back and I thought, well, I can't like comb through all those episodes <laughs> right now. But I don't know. I kept thinking that there was something earlier that we saw. And I don't know if this is also related to control because control still exists and on the ship in some manner. And made me wonder, too, if this is their way of still working control into the storyline. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if some bit of control that was in Leland has gotten into the ship somehow. And right somehow gotten into Detmer or something. Yeah. I, I'm really not sure what to think of this whole storyline. It's it's obvious they're setting something up. I'm I'm getting and the reason why I think of control is I'm definitely getting Arium vibes from what happened to her last season right. from this. So yeah, I don't know what's going on with her, but it's definitely chilling to see her reacting the way she does and stuff. So I I hope hope they get sorted soon. I really like Kayla. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if I'm confusing what happened to Arium with Detmer in this because I mean I remember what happened with Arium, but yeah, there's just something in the back of my mind. It's like, but didn't we see something brief happen to her at some point? But again, maybe that was in my dreams, like you did with Imzadi. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so the episode as a whole, I, I really enjoyed it. Giorgio, I think you made some really good points and, and I'm really curious what her arc is going to be in this season. Saru, I'm just like, he may be turning into one of my favorite captains. Like I just, he's, he, he's perfect in this role. And all of the characters just have these moments that come together to make this a really interesting episode. I love, as people know from hearing me speak, I love when shows focus on the characters and really have that drive forward what's going on. So yeah, this episode was, was just top notch in my, uh, in my opinion. So I think I would give it one nice long session in the cellular regenerator. You don't have to crawl in Jeffrey's tubes. You're just lying there getting fixed. That's a much better rating system than mine. That was really good, Dan. <laughs> and to your point about the characters, I do want to point out the other thing I liked about this episode is that they're utilizing the bridge crew more, that that cast is getting more to do. We're not just seeing them at their mm -hmm. stations. We're getting to see them interact more and do other things on the ship. And so I'm enjoying that. Absolutely. Yeah, there's just, there's there's so many great little moments with everybody in this episode. Like one that we didn't mention, but right after they crash and then uh, Ooshikun initiates a, a, a spontaneous applause on the bridge yes. for Kayla's landing. Like 
just little moments like that, that I'm like, I love this crew. They're really, they're gelling together now that, you know, now that we're past Lorca, now that we've had the healing with Pike, they're, they've really come together as a crew. And I love that. Yeah. I mean, now that you mentioned that this is the first season that we're going to get, that it really is the discovery crew. It's not somebody from the mirror universe who's undercover and now they can be themselves. And it's not like they're being commanded by somebody from another starship. It's them. Mm-hmm. This is their moment now. Yeah. Ah, that's awesome. Well, we'd love to hear what everyone out there thinks. So please tweet to us at Positively Trek on Twitter. You can also email us positivelytrek at gmail.com. We've also got our Facebook discussion group. Just search for Positively Trek on Facebook. We'd love to have you join. Always really great discussions and memes and all kinds of stuff being posted there. So, you know, we'd love to grow that community. You can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And on YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. And Bruce... I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the and the other line and then Rex. And I'm also occasionally on the Star Wars report. And you know what, folks? I can't tell you when I'm going to be on the Star Wars report because sometimes it changes. For example, we were supposed to record this week and then it got canceled. So I don't even know if I'll be asked to be on next week. So that's why I say occasionally I'm on the Star Wars report. Well, thank you so much for listening this week. We'll be back next week, of course, with another episode of Discovery. And we'll have our flagship show in the meantime, plus a book club episode coming later this week. So keep your eyes out for that. We've got a special one for you with special guest Kirsten Beyer. So uh, you won't want to miss that. So until the next episode, back at you, Bobcat. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.